Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Steve Murray. Steve is the president and co-founder of Real Trends, the nation's leading trends and research organization. Real Trends has been a leader in industry and housing consumer research for 29 years and is read by more than 54,000 real estate insiders every single week. They're known for their special reports, such as the Real Trends 500, the 2006 Consumer Tsunami Study, and the Wall Street Journal Real Trends 1000, ranking of the nation's top sales professionals. Steve is the co-author of four books, most recently Game Changers, The Unfounded Fears and Future Prosperity of the Residential Real Estate Business. On the consulting side, Steve's company has handled more than 2,400 client assignments for realty firms and over 700 mergers and acquisitions, as well as having consulted dozens of state and local reassure organizations. Now, let's welcome Steve to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Okay, Steve, so we're going to have to, I have to unmute two lines and find out which one is you, so hold on. <laughs> hey, Steve, is that you? Steve, nope. All right. Two, I'm here. Steve. Hello. Hey, there you are. Hey, found you. I'm You're here. Seven. Okay, How are I, you? All right, good. Hey, welcome to uh, the podcast. I appreciate you being my co-host today. We're having some technological snafus that are uh, not to be unexpected using podcasts. But, hey, I really appreciate your time today. I certainly appreciate the honor of having you on our podcast. A lot of our uh, listeners, we've been priming the pump for this show for a while, and a lot of our listeners have been sending in a lot of questions, a lot of things I think that fall right into your wheelhouse of expertise. So for that and a lot of other things, I certainly appreciate your uh, carving out a half hour to be on our show today. It's my pleasure and my honor. Um, so let's just jump right in. Um, you have written a lot of interesting things that oftentimes sort of fly, and this is my categorization, feel free to uh, not necessarily agree with me, that seem to fly in the face of where a lot of people, technologists, think that the industry is going. For example, do you believe there's a future in being a real estate agent or being a real estate broker? Absolutely, without any doubt at all. I think, you and know, this, we, pe people have been talking about this for 25 years. Technology is going to erase the real estate agent, the broker. You know, consumers are going to say, well, I can go online and find all the information. Probably the best story I heard about that is back in the 90s, the Hewlett Packard employee base, some 4,000 people in Fort Collins who are all network engineers, decided to form their own in-house MLS and exchange information and tapped into the local MLS. And it totally failed. Why? As one guy put it, can you imagine two engineers negotiating a deal? <laughs> Lots of spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine two engineers negotiating a housing deal? Oh, and that was 20 years ago when things were simple. I think well, that, you know, uh, as, Jeff Colvin, as Jeff Colvin has written in his book, Humans Are Underrated, there are huge swaths of our economy the technology is going to completely undo, number one. Even things like attorneys and accountants and all kinds of 
uh, professional occupations that people wouldn't assume would be replaced. We have the driverless car revolution is going to totally reorganize the economy. Anyway, all those things will happen. As Colvin points out, there is a big area that computers can't touch, and that's human behaviors, and particularly he uses the word empathy. Um, my own experience in negotiating the sale of brokerage companies, which can't be all that different from agents who are selling homes, 70% of my job is human, personal, emotional, mental, and 30% is numbers. So anyway, that, that's, where, that's where that belief comes from. No, I think I, I think I understand what you're saying, and it makes perfect sense to me because really buying a house is not just a mere transaction. It really is an emotional thing for all parties concerned, maybe not as much as it should be for – I mean, the agents shouldn't be as emotional as the sellers and the buyers, obviously. But, purchase, <laughs> but right. purchasing – I know. We, that was kind of a joke. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> I know. But yes, I mean, the, the reality of it is is that it is an emotional thing. It's an emotional thing for a seller, emotional thing for a buyer, and no algorithms will ever replace – that uh, empathy. I like how you said that. That was very, that's very elegant. You, so you mentioned the mergers and acquisitions thing, and that's something I think you're probably famous yeah. for. I don't know if, frankly, anyone else even talks on that topic in the industry. You, you had said some things that were sort of interesting, I think, and controversial, maybe motivating uh, to a lot of folks that were building real estate teams. You said that you envisioned teams being something that could be bought and sold on, mar- on multiple similar to traditional real estate brokerages. Do you mind touching on that and let us know what your, what your thoughts are on that today? Uh, not at all. Um, I mean, what, um, and I'll try to keep this short. If, if your team is based on your personal sphere and relationships and, and referrals, and that's how you build your practice, good for you. But that's not going to carry a lot of value because somebody buys that practice, it, you can't convert it. You can't transfer relationships necessarily in that circumstance. But when a team uses a direct mail system, an online marketing system, might be billboards, might be direct calling, a system that generates business outside of the relationship with the key agent. Now you've built a business system team. Those have value. Now, they may not ever get to the multiples that some large brokerage companies get. But I'll give you, for instance, we recently, we've been engaged in a lot of transactions this year, but I just sold a, uh, represented a seller of a roughly a 20-person team for almost the same multiple that I sold an 80-agent brokerage company for. Almost. Can you give us the math? well, do you I mean, mind sharing us with the math was, how you go about? No, huh? the team okay. the team was around a three multiple of trailing twelve months two point eight to three times trailing twelve months cash flow or EBITDA. The brokerage sold for four. So, so earnings before interest. 20, ta- yeah, yeah, yeah. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Essentially, a 20-person team sold for, we'll say it's 2.8, and an 80-person brokerage company sold for four. So the team, just we have to break this down, right? So for a yeah. team that's doing a million, for a team that's doing a million dollars, that has the the model set up so that it's not just basically a kingpin type business where the right. business isn't just all coming from the one person who happens to be an incredible networker. You know, you guys, listeners, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of agents out there that make 
just enormous amounts of money every year, but it's all basically relying on their own personal networking and their own personal spheres. And if they go and they don't really have a sellable asset, what Steve, what I'm hearing Steve say is if you built your business around uh, essentially systems that are reproducible, that can operate without the kingpin you know, being present, then you've got something that might be sellable. And I think I also heard him say that the multiple is roughly 2.8 times whatever – and I, let's just use net versus gross. I know EBITDA is not either, right. but – Let's use. You're talking about uh, essentially a, a probably a closer function of gross margin or gross gross commission income than you are net, correct? No, I'm actually talking about actual profit. So if I run a team uh, that generates, and we had one earlier this year, they had a team. There were um, three agents and there were two staff, and they grossed about a million two. After you factor in, take the owners out. After you, what would I have to pay if I was a, a broker or another team, and I bought that business? How much do I have to pay the listing agents and buyer agents inside my team? I deduct that cost. What's the cost of my employment, my rent, my marketing, my utilities, and all the stuff? In their particular case, it turned out that before taxes, on a true basis, that team threw off about $150,000 a year. If I wanted to buy it as an investor, that's what I could count on it to produce. In that case, for example, we got an offer of about $500,000 for that. Now, that's okay. above a three multiple. Here's the key thing for everybody to understand, though. I don't want to leave the topic. Nobody gets a two-and-a-half to a three-and-a-half multiple in cash. Mm-mm. Okay? It is – 20% to 40% in cash, the rest over two, three, four years. Some of those out-year payments are going to be based on how well the business actually performs. And this goes for brokers too, by the way. There, there have been in 30 years of 700-plus closings I've been engaged in, there are fewer than a handful that were all cash. That's incredibly important that people understand that. And by the, and I'm yeah. sure you know, Steve, but in case our listeners don't, any anytime you guys hire a business broker or someone to, if you're thinking about buying a business, almost always the owner carries the paper. <laughs> it's almost always an owner finance right. deal where they'll they put do. down something, and and then your future, you know, payouts are dependent usually on lots of strings attached. So that's really good. That's really worth mentioning. You know, yeah. you said this is – I love how you're really drilling down on the fact that this is based on really essentially your net income, your actual profit from the business. Right. And that actually that, – I wasn't prepared to talk with you about this, but I can't imagine anyone would have a better perspective on this than you. Um, the brokerage business, for the most part, is not a very profitable business. And um, what do you – how are you seeing – what do you see generally speaking the margins to be? And then I'm also curious what you're seeing on the team side of things. The first of all, I'll I'll say I just said this the other day in front of about a hundred brokers. Um, it's a myth that brokers don't make a profit. The myth has been either oh my God they don't make any profit or they make gargantuan profit. Right? <laughs> for the last twenty for the last twenty twenty five years, the, the 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 main number of brokers, it doesn't matter whether they're independent, franchised, Remax, Keller, doesn't matter. The best of them run four to six percent of gross revenue pre-tax. 
Now, there are outliers, of course. There are some, I know, I have a few clients who are 8 to 12%, right? They're outliers. There are some special things going on with their company or their marketplace or competition that enable them to make that kind of margin. But it doesn't, whether it's a top 10 brokerage in the country or number 225 in the country, the best brokers, no matter whether they have 50 agents or 500 agents, generally are right in 4 to 6% pre-tax, which I haven't looked at it recently, and I probably should have. I would bet that if you looked at the average profitability of the Fortune 500 and you took Google and Apple out <laughs> and Facebook, I bet the average of Fortune 500 would be 4 to 6%. I'd imagine you're right, but let, let's let's take yeah. a half step back because again, our listeners are mostly agents. We'll have probably 94,000 right. agents over time listening to this show, and and this is something we talk about all the time. And this is the fallacy of building a team. Maybe fallacy is too strong of a word, but this is the flip side to building a team that agents need to recognize before they go in because everyone has this um, you know this fantasy of this business runs for it runs itself, and they don't have to necessarily do the same type of you know work that they're you understand the the entrepreneurial myth to steal something from Mr. Gerber, right? Well, what folks don't understand is they'll actually make uh, way better margins. And I know maybe that's just too micro, that's too small of a a way to think of things, but they'll make way better margins if they're an agent with maybe two or three assistants versus having a big team. What people, what agents need to realize is, is that if your point of basically running a real estate practice is to make lots of margins, and I'm talking about 50%, 60 percent if you have a small working group you actually might do better over maybe five years running a business like that in terms of sheer profit than if you build a team and trying to pull margins out and that's kind of an interesting little split that's happening in the real estate uh the way the re- folks are thinking about the real estate industry do you care to comment on that or refute anything the, i said the, 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 we've done valuations now for a couple dozen teams in fact that business is growing rapidly we've got um We've got, uh, I think we've got five team valuations in-house right now. What we're seeing is well-run teams. We're seeing profit margins of 10 to 15, true true profit margins of 10 to 15%. So double, double to triple what a brokerage company is. That seems to us to be reasonable um, return for those kind of broker, those kind of brokerage businesses Obviously, we, we have actually one in-house right now that's one of those outliers. They're more like 25, right? They're huge. We haven't really They're not buying them yet. We haven't, we, yeah. We haven't, yeah, we haven't dug into their model yet to see how they're doing it. We will. We've got it in-house right now. We'll take a long look at it. But we are seeing the, – the, and, and, I mean, the one that we sold was like 12%. 13%. Real solid company. Real solid company. And so we think teams, if they're if you're running a team and you're not making at least 10 to 15% pre-tax, either you need to put some more volume on the books for the infrastructure you have, or you need to shrink your infrastructure to boost your margin, one or the other. Because if if you're running a team and you're making five or six percent, you probably would do better to revise your model, do something else. Because we're seeing most of the good teams we're we're getting doing work on, they're between ten and ten, twelve to as high as fifteen percent pre-tax. 
We've seen the exact same number, Steve, with the teams that we've uh, we, we coach. The exact yeah. same information, yeah. but it, it is kind of uh, it is kind of. I have to be. I'll use the word that actually popped in my mind. It's kind of frustrating doing this podcast every day and trying to explain to people that uh, you know you can run a team and let's say you make a million dollars in commission, your profit. Now, granted, there's some things that you're writing off and whatnot are going to be. Listen to what Steve just right. said about on the high side about 150 grand, but you can be an individual practitioner. Uh, you know, a solopreneur, and or maybe just have a couple assistants, and you can actually make more net profit by essentially working, uh, you know, just a small business and not have. You'll have to obviously work more with buyers and sellers, but you can actually, if your goal is to peel profit from your business and reinvest it in things that will make you profit, you might be able to get there quicker. And and honestly, Steve, the thing, and I I am curious what your opinion on this is. You've you've been in this business. For long enough, you've seen these big macro trends happen. Teams are probably the trend that started in the 90s, and now they're seemingly kind of hitting this sort of you know, climax where everyone thinks that's the natural progression of things. What's your opinion on that? Well, you know, I just told an audience the other day, I said, you know, and the topic was teams, and I, I made two points. <laughs> I said, um, we haven't released it yet, but this year we had 12,700 42 teams and individuals qualify for America's best. You had to do 50 sides and 20 or 20 million as an individual, 30 million or 75 sides as a team. There were 4,887 teams that qualified. Okay. They did uh, just about 600,000 transaction sides. 48, call it 5,000, I'll round it. 5,000 teams did slightly, right at 600,000 closed transaction sides. Now, let me put that in perspective. Remax and Keller Williams are both running at an annual rate of about a million closed sides. One of them has 145,000 agents. The other has 60,000. Cobble Banker has... 60,000 plus or minus in the U.S., and they're going to do 700-something thousand transaction sides, annual run rate. And then we say that fewer than 5,000 teams did only 100-something thousand sides less than Cobble Banker, and they're just getting started. So, number one, they're already a major factor in a business. As I told brokers all the time, it's not whether you like them or you don't. You either choose as a brokerage to embrace them and support them and build an environment which which is good for them, or you choose to say, you know, I really don't want that within my brokerage. The danger, as I tell most brokers, is most of you have not made up your mind. You're kind of the 70% that are in the middle, and I'm suggesting that you need to make up your mind. Either you're going to embrace teams or you're not. Make up your mind because it requires two different mindsets, a different uh, pro- set of programs, policies, fees, et cetera, uh, space, facilities, management, et cetera. It's, it's a whole different – it can be a whole different ballgame. Um, so that's number one. Number two, we see the, fun- the formation and structure of teams just in the last five years is undergoing a metamorphosis. I mean, we're finding teams that are – you know, we've got one team out there that we know has got – there's – 22 licensed people, as many staff people, and every single one of them is an employee. 
the, the, the leader of that team said, we're not going to screw around with it. Everybody's an employee. Everybody. And we'll pay health and we'll pay the Social Security and we'll do this. We'll treat them like they're employees. If Can we hover exempt, there for a second? Non-exempt. Yep. Can we hover there for a second? Have you yeah. – and, and it's, it's perfectly understandable if you don't want to share this information. But I bet you that team – with that's not having commissioned salespeople work for them is actually making more better margins than uh, than otherwise. Is that a true statement? In, in fact, that's a true statement. Yep, that doesn't surprise no. me. So, but we have, I mean, we see we see brokerages uh, teams become their own brokerage. So the whole the team is a brokerage. It's a whole brokerage operating, uh, and and we now uncovered a few. That they're a team, and they actually own. They, they purchase franchise from one of the national established brands, but they're operating fully as just a team. But um, isn't that the reason, team, Steve? Isn't isn't that the reason the brokerages are some of the brokerages are running away from teams is because they do yeah. see them as essentially just yeah exactly they're just becoming competitors. Well, I mean, look, we know that the advent of teams has only it has expedited the consolidation in the industry of fewer agents doing more of the business. Our, our, our research of a couple of years ago seemed to confirm that on the listing side, the top 20% of the agents in most markets we looked at were at least 75% of the listings were the top 25% of the agents, 20 to 25% of the agents. The buy side is not nearly that consolidated yet, but it's like the top 20% are doing – 55 to 60 percent of the buy side but both of them are heading towards more consolidation teams are one of the big reasons that's happening when do we stop Not calling that teams? but, but I'm, well I'm sorry. I, you know we're uh, it's a great question and and the truth is we're going to have to re-examine how we define teams between when we publish this year's top rankings and next year because aren't they in essence brokerages I mean, in they, essence, these big in guys are cases. Talking. Yep, in many cases, you're exactly right. They are becoming. I mean, it's one thing if they're standalone brokerages, but they still operate as a team. But it's when you say they say, "Well, we've got a brokerage, and there's both a team and independent agents within." And then, how do you separate out which is the team and which are the independent agents? <laughs> how do you do yeah. that? And and I have no then idea. you have. You know, but anyway, you know, but we, we we took the challenge on 10 years ago in the Wall Street Journal, asked us if since we could rank brokers, could we rank agents? And we said, well, there's we thought about it for a while, a couple of months and said, yeah, we think there's a way to do this and verify it, and make sure it's done right. You know, first year we only ranked, I think, the top 400. Now we had over 12,700 people submit applications. Yeah, it's interesting. So, Julie and I live. Yeah. Sorry. No, Julie and I live in Austin, right? And and so we've lived here yeah. about five years, and we've lived in d- different states and travel all the time, whatever, whatever. Austin has to have the most, the highest number of independent small brokerages of any place I've ever been before, and they're all, they, for the most part, they all started out as teams. And this Keller Williams basically is based here in Austin, in case all of you listening don't know that. Yeah. And I would venture a guess that virtually every one of these little small brokerages that are running, you know, they're boutique brokerages. Uh, they all started out as Keller Williams agents, learned how to run a brokerage and basically split off and did their own thing. And that's happening with a lot of these top producing teams within these big national brands are in this started, what, three, four years ago, they're all leaving and starting their own brokerages. 
and it's kind of fascinating. To, I don't have the same perspective that you do, but it is fascinating. There, it, it's almost like the pendulum has gone from a whole bunch of small mom and pops. Then it sort of swung, starting in the 80s and the 90s, and it started. You know, th- this big branding thing started to take over, and you started seeing yep. the, uh, the advent of Remax and Colt. Right, and now it seems to be swinging back towards these mom and pops. In essence, that's what yep. these teams are. You know, with the small. It's fascinating yep. to watch the evolution of this industry. Well, the one thing that I've known, I entered the business 40 years ago in the late 70s, and I was in the relocation management business. And back in the late 70s through the 80s, relocation business was considered gold, right? It was wonderful business. Mm-hmm. It was reliable. It was and, – and, and Cobble Banker, the whole Cobble Banker network, the original crew, now Berkshire Hathaway, Cardis now helps build Century 21 ERA and Better Homes and Gardens leading real estate companies of the world, broker-to-broker referral business and relocation business. Whole networks organized around a source of business that never amounted to more than 4 to 6% of a company's business. That's fascinating. Right? So now, what are we seeing now? Well, the new coin of the realm, I hate using cliches all the time, are leads. Good leads, bad leads, some leads, internet leads, direct mail leads, leads opportunities, opportunities. And you see, as I wrote recently, you see Keller and Rilogy and Remax and Berkshire Hathaway all really taking a long, hard look at taking all of their technology in-house. Why? Well, because they got to compete for consumers against Zillow and Realtor.com and each other and Homes.com. And they realize they got to have a lot more control. Why? Because they have to be able to be in a position that they can generate leads. Why did Realty buy Zip Realty? We need a platform that will generate more opportunities for our agents because that today is the coin of the realm. Is that a arrowless journey the same off as a cliff? Teams, when you think about it, it's the same yeah. as teams, right? Teams but are built around somebody who can generate business for somebody else. Exactly. And I wonder if that's a perilous journey, if that's a Thelma and Louise style off the cliff journey, because the how is buying leads and essentially having brokerages and teams based on a bunch of people that don't know how to lead generate that are dependent on one or two people that do? How is that a sustainable business if the lead acquisition cost continues to increase as it has been? That's a great question that I don't have an answer for. I don't have it either, but it is fascinating to watch all this play but, out, though. That's for gonna, sure. They're going to bet. These big national guys, and they're strong, and they're they're not dumb people. They're smart people. Mm-mm. They are think their 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 thought must be. We have to be able to do that, and we have to do it cheaper than they can get them elsewhere. I def I cannot argue with what you're saying and that does make sense and i nope. see national brokerages and whatnot going in that direction and no. they have you're right they're gonna have to create their own technology beachhead and no. they're gonna have to essentially yep. be able to compete with the big portals do you think the buying leads yep. thing do you think that a lot of people are of the opinion steve that that's kind of rounding the bend as far as uh it's uh you know zenith do you think that's true or not i don't think it's done yet no I don't think it's done. I'll tell you, the the day I see Zillow's and Realtor.com's ad revenue start to decline from their top agents, then I'll believe it. Yep, that's a smart way to think of it. That is really the bottom line. So I have one last question for you, and this is one. Yep. Yeah, sorry. 
No, well, so this, what do you think the, the biggest mistakes that you see? Because, again, you have a very, very unique perspective on the brokerage. You get to, like, you know, you don't even have to walk the yellow brick road. You just you get to peek behind the curtain, and you get to peek behind curtains of big brokerages, small brokerages. You get to see the truth. So what are the maybe the two or three biggest mistakes that you see brokerages, or we can even kind of merge it because they kind of are the same thing, and teams? What do you, what do you see the two or three biggest mistakes that they're making uh, that you see consistently being a mistake? I think that, and this, this, by the way, applies to brokerages, teams, and individual agents, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this. We try to complicate this. This is not a complicated – you don't need a Ph.D. to understand how to do this. For brokers, you have to know how to recruit talent. Number two, you have to know how to build tools, programs, education, marketing, whatever your opportunity for them is. You have to build a program that will help them improve their productivity, improve their sales production. And third, you have to spend less money – then you have coming in the front door. That's it. That's it. You do those three things. You do those three things. You're going to win for an agent. You either know how to generate customers. And by the way, that could be by your own direct mail efforts. It could be by knocking on doors. A a great story of a young man in Grand Rapids. I forget his name. It was a heart wrenching story, but a glorious story. He's broke. He's alone. He's got kids. He's got all this. He goes out door knocking, fizzbows and expires, and turns it within a year into a gold mine because no one else would do that. You find a way to, if you're an agent or a team, how are you going to generate customers? How are you going to build a culture, whether you're an individual agent with your clients or your assistant or you're a team, how are you going to build a culture to sustain your growth and, and extend your excellence at serving customers and clients? And third, how are you going to do it without spending more money you got coming in the door? It's that simple. And people that last one's the tricky get, one. <laughs> yeah, they get all well. And as I said, I said, you know, the truth is, seventy-five percent of the top five hundred brokers in the country, seventy-five percent made it through the downturn, when the average of them lost half their revenue. Wow, wow. They're a pretty impressive group of people. And by the way, same is true of top agents. Their revenue, mm-hmm. whoop. A lot of them just gone, right? Except for the guys who shifted into distress sales, REOs, you know that kind of stuff quickly. But even then, their revenues were cut, transactions were down, commission rates were under pressure. It's amazing when you step back that the absolute gorillas in this industry who found a way to get through. And I, there is yet to come. The good ones will. Absolutely. I mean, the versatility, the being, the ability to pivot, yep. the you know, it's the whole, it's the whole Boy Scout thing, right? Hope for the best, being prepared for the worst. Steve, listen, yep. honestly, I sincerely appreciate you being on our podcast today. It was a great honor having you on. I, I could talk with you for hours and hours, and uh, well, and, I, and still come up with more hours and hours of conversations. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a real estate industry geek. I find this very yep. fascinating, and um, you know, well, I, I really don't I'm think not... there's anyone else that has your perspective, and it's my true honor to have you on our show. Well, it's it's all my pleasure today, and thank you for allowing me to come on and spout a little bit, and we'll look forward to talking again. 
Very good. Thank you. Listeners, listen, if you want to get hold of Steve, um, uh, he's obviously all over the Internet. He's cited all the time as being the go-to expert, um, but Real Trends is where you want to uh, seek out more information. And, and of course, uh, Steve's company yep. has lots of great lists and information and content. As a matter of fact, a lot of what you guys are reading, what you're citing uh, for your, uh, you know, your direction, your business, it's actually coming from Steve's company. So if you just want to go right to the source, just go to his website. So the bet, what, what do you, for agents, Steve, what do you think, realtrends.com? Yeah, realtrends.com. And as we tell all potential people, the first call is always free. Don't hesitate to call us or email and want to set up a time to talk to us about something. We have four people in our digital marketing consulting group. We have three people in merger acquisition valuation. We're all, and, and we have people all the time there always willing to help. Very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Murray. I really yep. sincerely appreciate your time yep. today. And listeners, we'll talk with you yep. on the radio tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye now. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time... Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.